a few years ago now, I began to dabble in caring for indoor plants. It started with a couple of easy care plants back when I was in college, where there were some particularly modern looking stairs in our townhouse. Quite chunky, quite sharp, weren't they Brody? He fell down them once, we thought we nearly lost him. But with a two-year-old walking around, it looked like a very easy way to run headfirst into the bottom of them. They kind of hung out from the wall and you could run straight headfirst into them if you weren't thinking. So I placed two plants underneath the stairs to remind Brody to run around the stairs so hopefully he didn't run into a pot plant. Suffice to say, I had no idea what I was doing at that point in time and they did not thrive at all with the minimal light that was in that spot. They looked pretty sad. But when we arrived at our quarters in Colac, as you can imagine, in a country house, it was a good size with many windows, the perfect place to experiment once again with a few indoor plants. So as we were setting up the place to make it feel like home, I purchased a few plants And over the three years we were there, I learned a lot about plant care and the interest became, well, quite a hobby and some may say I got a little carried away because in the end I had around 60 plants in the house. (laughs) I actually have a few pictures that will give you a bit of an idea. That is my kitchen bench top where I brought some of them to, some of them, (laughs) to, um, for watering day. (laughs) So, um, yeah, and then I think... If we go to the next one, yeah, there's some of those. You probably see some of them are not perfect in that spot. But I had a lot of beautiful different varieties of plants and a few really special variegated ones. And that one on the right side actually made it here in the car on (laughs) the road trip here when we got here, which is quite a feat because it's large. (laughs) But yeah, I still have a love for it. Now I've got to find where I was back in there. <laughs> okay, so I had a plant diary with a page set out for each plant with dates of watering, fertilising and repotting and each week I would run through the diary and tend to each plant that needed my care. Considering that the better part of two of those years were spent locked in our home because of COVID, these plants actually brought us much joy and certainly brought some beauty into our lives. Now, I mentioned that I learned a lot about plants in this time. It wasn't always smooth sailing. Yes, over time I did learn quite a lot and I would say I became a very good indoor plant mum. I did research on each plant that I liked the look of before purchasing so I knew that my conditions were suitable to the type of plant. I knew what spots would be best for each plant, how often to water, how to water, what food they needed and what diseases and bugs to look out for. It's quite a lot of work, actually. I don't know why I did it. But despite everything (laughs) that I knew about tending to indoor plants, there were still those few that no matter what I did, they just wouldn't thrive. My attention was sucked up on these plants too that had me concerned for their welfare, questioning what I was doing wrong, trying different methods to bring them to health, but still the leaves would crisp up and turn brown or disease would spread. There was one in particular that I remember that was riddled with spider mites. It was absolutely covered with these tiny little gremlins that literally sucked the life out of the plant. There were a series of ways to eradicate them, but despite all my best efforts, the plant continued to go bad. 
I ended up tending to this plant daily to give it the best chance of survival to no avail. And in the meantime, I also knew that this plant was potentially putting the rest of my plants in danger too. The disease could spread to all of the other plants and infect them too, and then all of my plants would be dying. That's a lot of plants. So I made the tough decision to remove the plant from inside and placed it in a safe place outside to protect the others. But eventually, despite all of my efforts, the plant continued to go bad, so I had to make the decision to throw it away. Why am I telling you about this? Well, a little bit of a brag sesh maybe, but today we're going to be looking at a passage from the book of Isaiah. It is entitled, The Song of the Vineyard, and you'll see in a moment that there are some similarities to what I have shared with you in that story. So we're going to be reading from Isaiah 5 verses 1 to 7 entitled The Song of the Vineyard. I will sing for the one I love a song about his vineyard. My loved one had a vineyard on a fertile hillside. He dug it up and cleared it of stones and planted it with the choicest vines. He built a watchtower in it and cut out a wine press as well. Then he looked for a crop of good grapes, but it yielded only bad fruit. Now you dwellers in Jerusalem and people of Judah, judge between me and my vineyard. What more could have been done for my vineyard than I have done for it? When I looked for good grapes, why did it yield only bad? Now I will tell you what I am going to do with my vineyard. I will take away its hedge and it will be destroyed. I will break down its wall and it will be trampled. I will make it a wasteland, neither pruned nor cultivated, and briars and thorns will grow there. I will command the clouds not to rain on it. The vineyard of the Lord Almighty is the nation of Israel, and the people of Judah are the vines he delighted in. And he looked for justice, but saw bloodshed, for righteousness, but heard cries of distress. Okay. So in this rather dramatised song from Isaiah, we have a pretty clear story of the establishment of a vineyard. In fact, straight away, I noticed that this storytelling from Isaiah, this song of the loved one, looks very much like an Old Testament version of a parable, doesn't it? Here we have a story about a topic that would have been well known to the audience, the process of planting a vineyard, because that was fairly prominent back then. But really, the story is talking about something else. So we hear about this vineyard. The planter puts in the hard yards to prepare the land for planting. The land is fit for a good harvest, fertile, the perfect place for a thriving vineyard to bear much fruit for years to come. The stones were dug up and cleared. The choicest vines were chosen and planted meticulously. The watchtower was built in the perfect place and the wine press was cut out too. Everything was done and all that was left to do was wait for the abundant harvest. But then the worst thing happened. The gardener looked for the crops of good grapes, but the vines only yielded bad fruit. Instead of juicy sweet grapes, sour wild grapes, not fit for consumption. No good can come from this harvest. What more could have been done for the vineyard? Why did the vineyard only yield bad fruit? Now, there is only one thing to be done for this failure of a crop. The hedge will be taken away and destroyed. The walls will be broken down and the vines will be trampled. The vineyard will become like a wasteland, neither pruned or cultivated. And briars and thorns will grow in the place that once was a vineyard. Chosen, prepared, planted and cared for. 
What a sad picture we're presented with in these words. What once was filled with so much hope, now broken down and left a wasteland. Then this song of the vineyard switches to the real situation at hand. In verse 7 it says, The vineyard of the Lord Almighty is the nation of Israel, and the people of Judah are the vines he delighted in. And he looked for justice but saw bloodshed, for righteousness but heard cries of distress. Here Isaiah is sharing a word from God about the current state of Israel and Judah. Once known as the chosen people of God, chosen, prepared, planted and cared for, despite all of God's perfect efforts, things have not worked out as God had planned for them. God called the people of Israel to be a people of justice and righteousness, but instead justice had turned into bloodshed and righteousness had turned into cries of distress. God's vineyard of Israel had turned into a harvest of wild grapes. Of course, this is not a question of God's perfect plans because we are to remember that along with all the plans God has for his people, he also gives the gift of free will. And much like a plant given all the resources and care, there is still a chance that it's going to go wild. God takes that into account with any plan that he makes for his people. So here is his chosen people, Israel, in all sorts of disarray. Can you imagine the pain God is feeling at the results that he is witnessing of his chosen people? Because planting a garden begins long before a seed is placed in the ground. The gardener envisions the desired harvest and then selects the finest quality seeds. The soil is prepared and enriched so the garden will return the highest yield, space, Sunlight and water requirements are all considered when planning the placement of each vegetable and fruit. By the time the ground is tilled and the seeds are planted, much hope has been invested in a garden that is yet to grow. This is like the process that God would have gone through to plan the vineyard and, of course, the harvest of the people of Israel. Then the gardener has to wait. The gardener watches and tends to the garden, looking for the first signs of growth. With sprouts come stems, then stalks, then leaves begin to spread, an indication of growth. But no assurance of harvest yet. This is the ongoing risk of the gardener, no assurance of harvest. So if the seeds fail to sprout or the plants grow wildly beyond their row, becoming entangled with other plants or the fruit that hangs from the vine sours in taste, then there is no harvest and therefore the garden is ploughed under and a garden for a new season might be planned. At that planning, or all that planning, all that effort, all that waiting with no assurance that everything will bring harvest. That's such a wild commitment. What if we were to push this further and look at our own church as the vineyard or the Salvation Army in this country to think that long before we even existed, God was planning and preparing us. God was positioning us in this very place with great plans for our harvest. He was bringing people and resources to us to ensure everything was possible for a big harvest. What a delight and possibly an overwhelming joy to know that God has invested so much in us for an incredible harvest. We're a vineyard. But the question is, and it's a pretty brutal one, are we a thriving vineyard that's producing good fruit? Are we producing good grapes or wild ones? 
Just like a typical Jesus parable, this prophetic song of Isaiah provides an example that indicated their current circumstance with Israel, but that also speaks to us directly today. We can look at this example of the vineyard and see it as the church. The grapes are what grows out of the church. They are the results of the quality of the church and how it has responded to the planning and nurture of God. Are we producing good grapes or wild ones? There is no comparison either. Wild grapes are useless, except perhaps for scavenger birds, those who are happy to take whatever they can get from the vineyard. But the wild grapes are sour, unsuitable for wine, and technically only belong on the scrap heap. The gardener would never even attempt to sell the grapes, nor even try to make anything out of them himself. That would only continue to spread the sour taste of wild grapes. Therefore, they just become a problem that needs to be cleaned up somehow. But good grapes, that's a whole different story. Good grapes are exactly what the gardener intended. Good grapes bring great joy and satisfaction to the gardener because they are fit for purpose. They are tasty, abundant and good for multiple uses. They can be consumed by any who are seeking sustenance and there are plenty to go around. The finest of quality as hoped for from the very beginning. Judah and Israel were supposed to maintain their loyal relationship with God. They were supposed to stay in proximity with God and grow in God's ways. They were to treat others with honesty and equity while upholding justice. However, they allowed the political and economic powers to divide the people and they even began to prey on the poor. The people went wild in the fruit that they produced Instead of justice, bloodshed. Instead of righteousness, cries of those downtrodden. They strayed from their close relationship with God. Perhaps even some never even got close enough to God in the first place. In order to live a righteous life, we must be in a tangible relationship with God. That is one that is active, noticeable and obvious. Of course, if this doesn't happen, if we don't work on that relationship both individually and as a church... There are consequences. Our God is a just God. There will be penalties for injustice and that rests on those who are not in relationship with God and God's purpose. This kind of sounds like a bit of a harsh reality, but we need to think of it this way. God works all things together for his good, right? We know that. God is not going to continue to pour resources into something that's not aligned and in active relationship with him. God is not going to allow a wild vineyard to continue to spread and threaten the neighbouring vineyards. God is not going to honour the wild grapes. Eventually, the vineyard will have to be ploughed out and either left to wasteland or reworked and replanted for a hopeful new harvest. God works all things together for his good. We as individuals and as a church need to take heed to these warnings. As Sue shared with you last week, it's not about what it looks like we are doing by labelling ourselves as Jesus followers, but about whether we are working at our relationship with him to produce good fruits. We will live with the consequences of our own actions and the actions of those we are in relationship with no matter what. Therefore, we must count well the cost of our words and deeds as we seek to live righteous lives, upholding justice as God intends. The number one command to love God and to love others were no longer at the centre of Israel's life and their consequences were dire. 
While they professed to be God's chosen people, they were not living it out. The wild grapes were a false representation of the good fruit that God intended. The crop mocked efforts of God to bring forth good fruit. The stench of decay hung in the air instead of the fragrance of a lush harvest. Do we as a church want to be a false representation of God's good fruit? Do we want to be a stench of decay or a fragrance of lush harvest? If we decide to work at our relationship with God, if that becomes our first priority, again as individuals and as a church, then we have the opportunity to become that lush harvest, fit for purpose, inviting and nourishing to our community and honoured by God. God will of course provide and grow our church if we are aligned and living in close proximity with him as he intended first and foremost. The good news is that this parable of sorts is an illustration of how God cares for his people. This parable does not describe a God that lacks compassion and demands results, but instead he sees a God who spends great energy to help us grow and become the best that we can be. I think it's comforting to know that God cares so much about us and our development, sparing no effort to create an environment that is ready for success, but wants the absolute best for us and he wants us to respond, to walk with him and he wants to see our ministry grow and for our community to come to know him too and then join us in the work. However, it's not our own self-interest, comfort or importance that God is cultivating. God's love, care and protection come with the expectation of justice and righteousness. These are the fruits that God longs to see flourish in us. These are not the things we practice for recognition or extra credit. They are the main point. God is not content until the blessings we receive are shared fairly to all. If this fruit is not produced and shared, then the consequences may be that God allows us to have our own way and leads us to our own devices which surely leads to a forgotten wasteland. If we as a church are too invested in our own comforts and recognitions, we can expect the journey towards wasteland. But if we want to see growth and abundance, we can expect to have to put in the work to grow in our relationship with God. But the rewards are beyond our expectations. The sweet grapes of harvest will increase our faith and lift us to the next level of relationship with God. Where there is relationship with God, there is alignment with God. And then there is harvest because God will bring people and resources into a thriving vineyard that is producing the fruit that he intends. What a picture. We can choose to be a part of everything that God wants for us, or we can choose to foster the wild grapes by pursuing our instant gratification of self-seeking and worldly comforts. I know that I don't want to miss out on all that God can bless us and our community with. It is a terrifying thought to consider becoming a forgotten wasteland simply because we're too afraid, complacent or even content with our current circumstance. I think we can do better than that. We can dream big. We can pray fervently. We can seek God first and we can follow in the way of Jesus as a Jesus-centred church. I just want to finish with this. Commissioner Miriam Gluis shared in her update letter, which is attached to your newsletter today, about our new slogan, Believe in Good. She asked, what if every salvo is on mission? 
We were never intended to have a priestly caste. We believe in the priesthood of all believers, the mission of all believers, doing good, believing good, being good, and seeking and being led by the Spirit to have conversations about Jesus and to show and share his love. In Matthew 5, 15 to 16, Jesus says, here's another way to put it. You're here to be light, bringing out the God colours in the world. God is not a secret to be kept. We're going public with this, as public as a city on a hill. If I make you light bearers, you don't think you're going to hide under your, I'm going to hide you under a bucket, do you? I'm putting you on a light stand. Now that I've put you there on a hilltop, on a light stand, shine. Keep open house. Be generous with your lives. By opening up to others, you'll prompt people to open up with God, this generous Father in heaven. So the message is clear. The consequences are laid out. The blessings are available. The creator God continuously working for good. And the rest is up to us.